1: Welcome, everybody, to Episode 4 of the Browns Film Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, John Colosimo, with our analyst, Jake Burns, as we try to sort through the rubble of a devastating loss Sunday against the Saints and rise like a phoenix through the ashes for Thursday night against the Jets in our only primetime game of the season. Jake, how are you coping with uh, the loss on Sunday?
0: um i think <laughs> i think i've come come to peace with it it's it is a a very Brownsish loss one that we're accustomed to seeing one that we have conversations amongst friends at the water cooler on monday and and say how do they always find a way to one-up themselves and be more Brownsish than the week before so um i'm over it i've moved on i've i've, I've given myself some silver linings there are plenty of silver linings really and and i think uh think we're good i think we can we can come out of this okay we should be 2-0 and uh without a doubt but we're not we're we're 0-1-1 so the the battle will be figuring out a way to like you said john get a win in prime time and, and show the people across the country that the browns have a respectable football team this year
1: yeah, it's amazing how I keep having to remind myself that we're not 0 and 2. We are actually 0 1 and 1. Uh, so, uh, but that, that is the reality of it. And I think we've got a good shot. It feels nice, I think, to be able to come back as quick as possible, uh, in this Thursday night game to try and change the narrative here, uh, for the season, which has been so Brownsian, (laughs) so I'd like to change that, and I think we got a good opportunity, Uh, but uh, you want to start with the Saints recap before we get into that?
0: Yeah, so obviously a frustrating game uh, from really beginning to end in terms of of opportunities missed. Uh, The the offense obviously sputtered a little bit, ended up putting up some respectable yardage uh, by the end of the game, helped out by that. Long throw to Antonio Callaway, but uh, they 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 outperformed the Saints' offense. Just left points on the field. Obviously, their kicker. I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Uh, Zeng Gonzalez left eight points on the field that decided the game. Unfortunately, and that's really, John, where you get to in the NFL if you leave it. It's on you if you leave it on your kicker's foot. There's always a chance that that kicker uh, performs like we saw. Zane Gonzalez performed you saw the same thing in Minnesota and I would I would venture to say that what happened with Minnesota and Green Bay was worse from a a makeable kick to win a game standpoint after missing one to win it in regulation um missing one early in overtime the the guy was all over the place his name's escaping me at the at the moment but um he missed it was a
1: brutal day for kickers all around the league. It seemed like,
0: yeah, absolutely. And he missed. I think he missed a 32 yarder to win it. I was watching that game because I write a little bit for the Vikings uh, film room stuff, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you just can't believe it. So, and, and that's what that's what happens. You put it on your kicker's foot, and sometimes you you get it, and sometimes you don't. So I don't know if this is an indictment of Zane Gonzalez's career. It might be. It might not be. Uh, the, the The injury leak was a little strange to me. But I'm sure we'll delve into that later. But, yeah, I mean, the Browns had opportunities to win this game, opportunities to score touchdowns instead of leaving it on Zane's foot. Their defense played really well. I thought that they really confused Drew Brees all day in terms of, um, you know, what he was expecting versus what he got, which is what we, we talked about in the preview, John, is that they had to confuse him. They had to manipulate him into making throws, or, or holding the ball slightly longer than he wanted to and giving, you know, we thought Miles Garrett, Larry Joby had the big day. And, uh, you know, that's what they had to get, and they got it. And and they held New Orleans in check. I think they held them under 300 yards or right about 300 yards. And you can't they ask did. for it. Yeah, you can't ask for anything more than that. So I leave feeling disappointed, more disappointed in the immediate, uh, in my living room, just, just aghast and can't believe how that happened. But a couple days removed, watch film Monday, watch them all 22 Monday night, and you see you see the positive. I'm kind of really sick of saying you see the positive, but this is a team that, against two teams that were playoff teams last year, should be 2-0. I mean, I'm not sure how good the Steelers are. I'm really not sure how good the Saints are this year, but those teams went to the playoffs last year, and that means something. So... It's it's there to be had. I, I tweeted out that the talent is here. It's just they don't know how to win yet. So it, it's just they're going to have to overcome the stigma the franchise has right now that something will Murphy's Law itself into into reality. So that's where I'm at with it. It's a very winnable game Thursday, but the Jets also feel it's a very winnable game for them. So it's not going to be a lay down by any stretch.
1: Yeah, and as we as we get into you know how we played in this game. Uh, that was a good recap. Uh, it's hard for me, uh, talking to some Browns fans to, uh, kind of, uh, get them on the same page uh, as far as not thinking that this is the same old Browns. I really don't think it is. I know, I know that we found a way to tie and lose a game in, uh, a very Brownsian fashion. I know that Hugh and, uh, some of these guys are, are leaving you feeling the same same way that you always do with these letdowns. Very early in the year, after a lot of positivity in the off season, uh, but truly, you know, this this roster has real, honest to goodness, good players that are up and coming. And this is really not like uh, the last five years. I can go, you know, we can't do it here, but I, I'm telling you, I could go through roster by roster by roster. Um, this roster is. Is full of really good promise, and I know that it's frustrating as hell uh, to see it go down this way to start. But uh, I think that it's going to turn around. It might not. It might not even be this year. I'm sure that they'll they'll get some wins this year. But uh, I I still think we're kind of getting fissured on the coaching side of things. Although uh, I will say, and let me uh, let me say something I never thought that I would say uh, this season. At least uh, I got to give some credit to Greg Williams. Uh, you know, I thought that uh, he'd find a way to over blitz him, uh, his way to a 300 yard game from Drew Brees, and uh, I I hand it to him. I think he had a really solid game plan. I thought he blitzed selectively. I thought he mixed coverage as well, uh, and I thought that you saw uh, a lot of success with that uh, without. A huge amount of pressure. I know Larry had a good day, but it wasn't an overwhelming day as far as uh, successful pressures on Drew Brees. They did a really good job scheme wise of limiting what he did. And I know he missed a couple. He missed, you know, he missed one to Watson that he would have had. He missed one again that uh, those could have been two touchdowns. Uh, but I got to give credit to Greg Williams. Uh, uh, where I I'm not sure I'll do it the rest of the year, and I didn't do it all last year. But I got to give him credit here.
0: No, there there's no arguing that, John. I thought they played we knew what they would have to do. They would have to disguise some coverages, disguise some blitzes in certain situations, play a keep in front of me type of defense, and they did that. They were, I thought, in a bend but don't break and be aggressive in the situations where they thought they game planned uh tendency-wise to be aggressive and they did they did a good job. I mean, Greg Williams isn't playing the same defense. We. I mean, it is a shell of the same defense, but he's he's taking advantage of the players he has this year. He's dropping less interior defensive linemen, more exterior defensive linemen. He's allowing his nickel to find the field more often. He's not playing his single high safety 30 yards deep, more about that 18 to 20 range. It does help when your single high safety is a bit more reactionary and understanding of what's going on in front of him the way Demarius Randall is sure. with, with, uh, with that position feeling comfortable having been back there in his college years was totally new to Jabril and in moving Jabril up, which we'll talk about too, is has only helped him. So it's a more complete talent, uh, talent on the side of the defense, but we're not seeing the, 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 the gap and scheme that we saw last year too. So credit where it's due, I'll, I'll call Greg Williams out when he's, when he's not I think taking advantage of, of what's in front of him on a, on personnel side, but when he's doing it right, I'm going to say, you know, props, patch on the back, nice job. He's he's playing a defense that is balanced yet aggressive when it needs to be aggressive. He's always going to be aggressive by nature. He almost plays defense like he, like an offensive coordinator should play offense. And that's okay when you balance it out with, you know, taking calculated risks and he's doing a better job of that while also playing a more – Uh, I'll say concrete defense, less uh, easy, uh, less easy options, you know, more making an offensive coordinator have to work to figure out what you're doing type of thing.
1: Now, I agree. And uh, that's, I don't know how many times we'll do a segment like that, (laughs) talking about Greg Williams in that way. I hope it continues. Uh, But moving on, uh, who do you think uh, the best performers that you saw when you broke down the film were?
0: um offensively i thought antonio Callaway for his first re- it was his real debut because he started played a lot of snaps i thought he played well uh pretty crisp route running obviously made big plays one big play in uh, the re- the return game or sorry the uh reverse game there where he uh calculated a i think he had a couple rushes total but he that was a weird play though wasn't it jake it was strange
1: it looked like they just kind of Quit on that play, look like they stopped locking. It looked like he kind of trotted out of bounds. That looked weird yeah, to me.
0: it was weird i, I didn't I don't know I, I, I don't know if they just didn't feel they had the angle. It did feel sort of go through the motions toward the end of it. I, I agree with you. I guess I'm not looking too deep into it because it was successful enough, but yeah, sure. I certainly see that that side of things too. The second reverse was terrible. The first reverse was better because they gave uh, a decoy in the run game that set it up. The second one they ran in and in split zone, which is where you're taking your backside tight end and kicking him out. Well, they, they they took that backside tight end and kicked him out the way the reverse was coming back, and the mm-hmm. entire point of that concept is to have manipulated eyes that follow the puller, and when they follow the puller and then, and then the reverse lands in their lap, it's never going to be that productive. So that one was terrible, but he did a nice job on that. He had a nice catch on a third down drive route where the Browns drove out a couple of down uh, defenders and he kind of he kind of just runs a diagonal at a 45, and he caught it and got upfield. I think he got about 20 yards or so. And then, obviously, the 47-yard touchdown that was pretty magnificent over the top that I don't think anybody saw coming. I know I was a little bit flabbergasted because I only saw Jarvis Landry initially, and I didn't see him closing from the outside. And I'm still not totally convinced Tyrod wasn't throwing the ball up the hash to Landry. because I was going to
1: say the same exact thing. I was going to say the same thing.
0: When you, and I opposed and this to Jeff. Lloyd last night, like when you look at the view, it's really hard to see Tyrod looking to his right to feel that skinny post from Callaway. I, I, I don't know if anyone will ever know that, but um, that quarterback room when they probably had a discussion about it, but it worked out and Callaway closed on that thing. The third fastest speed in the NFL in terms of a top speed of trailing only Tyreek Hills uh, top two scores, which is, you know, that guy's the NFL speedster of all speedsters right now. So it's good to see. I thought he played really well. Um, Desmond Harrison's come along fine. Still struggles in the run game with his initial footwork is a problem. He, he's, he's, he's fine as a as a pass blocker. He will only get better with more reps. But I thought he took steps in the right direction. Jarvis Landry played well. I thought he blocked really well, which is really important for the position he plays. A um, couple nice blocks in the run game. Had a really nice block on that quarterback draw where Tyrod stayed up too long and got ear-holed. Yeah, um, but he did a nice job walling off. He was one of their better players, but Joel Batonio played fine. I think he pass-blocked a lot better than he run-blocked. I kind of dinged him because I didn't think he run-blocked as well as I know Joel Batonio can, but he played well. Um, and, you know, the interior is Eidler, So everybody else is kind of average to me. Um, I'm beginning to grow concerned with David Njoku. Um, two really terrible efforts, um, you know, in the in the passing game. He just he just seems to be lackadaisical. He he doesn't seem to be playing hard. I don't know if it's he has issues over his usage or if he doesn't know where he's supposed to be going. I'm I'm not sure. He's not run blocking as well as he ended the year last year. So um, that's kind of where I'm at. And, you know, Pro Football Focus graded him out at a 41.9, and it feels about right to me. Yeah. I thought I thought I think week one. What, week one, it was really low as well, like in Barry, 43.1. So he's in the low. I mean, that's, that's well below replacement level. That's, that's poor, very poor in that score. So, um, that's, that's, that's my big concern. Everybody else was just fine. I thought they're good enough to win. And I've had this conversation with multiple people since the end of that game is that they're, it's clear to me, John, and I'm getting long winded again. I'm sorry, man, but it is clear to me that they're, everyone is really upset with how they're, philosophically going about offense. But where I've come to understand is that they are going to say we are relying on our defense, we think we have a good defense that can create turnovers and is going to hold people to about 20 or below points-wise, and we are going to play a calculated offense that aims to score three touchdowns. Very conservative, don't turn the ball over, take advantage of opportunities given by the defense – and that's all we're going to do. We're just going to play that way, eliminate mistakes, play a lot of two tight end personnels. And that's just, that's kind of the vibe I get that they're going to continue to do. They they obviously have Tyrod here because they went through a turnover problem last year. They feel like he, gonna, he is going to take care of the ball. I think he has had two bad interceptions, but he's taking care, he had two fumbles too, but his calling card is taking care of the football and for the most part, he's doing that. He's doing what we would expect him to do in a conservative offense, you know. And, and the offense hasn't been good by no stretch of the imagination, but it's been good enough that they could have won two games. You know what I mean? So like, it's it's okay to complain, and I'm complaining too. I would love to see more. Like I, I told you earlier, I break down the Vikings, and they're just an offensive machine in terms of talent and usage, and their coordinator, John Filippo. It's 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 night and day. But I get where the Browns are coming from. So. Everybody wants them to be more downfield aggressive. They don't think they have that ability, so they're going to use whatever they can to take advantage of situations and say, hey, we're going to rely on our defense. Every possession we have is going to end in a kick, whether it's a punt or a field goal or an extra point, and... That's how we're going to play. We're not going to beat ourselves. We're just going to play good, solid football, win the turnover battle and win games 24 to 14 or or 17 to 10, whatever that magic number is. That's what they're aiming for. And I wouldn't expect anything different. And I've had that conversation with other people too. You know, why don't they play Baker? Why don't they play Baker? And that's okay. I'm, I'm cool with like, you know, I'm a Baker lover. I love the guy, but I don't think you see Hugh Jackson play him this year. It's just not going to happen. It, 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 You have to think of it. Hugh Jackson has to win as many ball games as he can. You bring in a rookie quarterback. You're going to turn the ball over, which that's fine. Everybody from a Browns fan's perspective is here. We're here for the next 30 years of our lives. We don't care. We want to get this kid ready. Well, Hugh doesn't have that. Hugh's coaching for his life. He needs to win games. He can't risk those things. So he's trying to win games with a guy he knows is not going to turn the ball over. Now, if Tyrod keeps... Throwing the ball to safeties, he's looking right at it, those things can always change. But I, I get the philosophy everybody has right now. I'm at least that's I'm at peace with it. That's where I've come to, John. You can you can tell me where you stand, but that's that's where I've gotten to.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you this uh, I agree that I think that's what we're saying, or that's what we're seeing. And I, I think at a certain point, uh, it's that kind of old saying, if somebody is telling you who they are, uh, then believe them. And I think that's, that's where we're getting to. I think that's what we said after week one. Well, let's see what we look like in a dome and we're not in a, you know, a downpour. Uh, but I think we saw more of the same. And so I think you have to start believing that this is what they want to do on offense as much as you agree or disagree with it. Um, and while I understand uh, the idea of it, uh, you know, it reminds me a little bit of how Jim Tressel used to coach at Ohio State. You know, uh, relying on his special teams and uh, and defense and waiting for other people to make mistakes and trying to not, not mis- make mistakes yourself. Uh, the problem is our special teams isn't very good. And uh, I'm not sure that we're great on defense. I think we're good. I think we can stay in games. Um, I don't like what we've seen out of the 12 and 21 personnel that we seem to want to run all the time. Uh, we're just not really getting the kind of production and i tell you the one thing that we seem to be good at is pass blocking <laughs> and so you know it's uh, it it seems like uh, what we're what we're good at doing we're not really taking advantage of so it's a little frustrating even though i'm with you in that i believe that you know i'm not going to beat myself against the wall on. And I think this is what we're going to see. Uh, but I will criticize it a bit. I, I don't think that it's necessarily in line with what this team does best right now. Uh, maybe uh, we're still seeing the growing pains of a shuffled around um, offensive line. And some of that is because Zeitler was injured during the preseason. Some of it is because Harrison was injured during the preseason and then was um, – You know, Joe Petonio was shuffled back inside those kind of things. We could grow and we have some pedigree on the offensive line. There's reason to think that we will get better at run blocking, uh, whereas some teams don't have that that they can look forward to. I think that we should get better at that. But right now, it seems like the one thing that we do really well is pass block. And it doesn't feel like this passing game is designed to really take advantage of that and I'm hoping that um, if this is the philosophy that we're really going to run with um, for the long haul, I'm hoping that we see that line gel in the next three, four games to where we can actually get some movement on, on some of these double tight ends or, you know, f- um, you know, with a full back um, where we're just not seeing that kind of production right now
0: in nature, retreating backward and protecting something is easier than as things are flying around you, we're trying to move a man off a spot. Obviously, is much harder. It takes much more synchronization between yourself and the man next to you. When I'm in pass pro, I can really just, if I'm Desmond Harrison, I can really just worry about myself. I can just really worry about taking care of this defensive end and what's it going to do to me. But in a run game, when you run inside zone, you run duo, you're working a lot of double teams. You're working ace blocks. You're working those sorts of things where you're climbing to the second level. There has to be a level of communication and feel sure. and those sorts of things. And people are moving left and right and they're moving down the line. So it's, it is by nature, harder to run block than pass block as, as a cohesive unit. So, those struggles do make sense to me, and I think it will get better over time. Um, like you said, it, it has the opportunity to get better over time. And just by, like I said, uh, pure what's easier, what's harder type of thing, that that certainly will be something to pay attention to. And you feel good if they if they do bring in a different game plan, say things go really sideways Thursday, Tyrod doesn't play well, they would have to morph a game plan for Baker if they tried to start him after the ten-day break. They'd have a lot of time to do that, and it would involve heavy pass game stuff, which is you know, which is what he's he's good at. And their pass pro is is relatively solid with the first group, so that's encouraging. But um, you know, back back to the crux of the whole conversation, I, I just feel like as long as this group is what it is right now and the status quo is unchanged. I will not go into games expecting them to put up 30 points. I know that the Browns haven't put up 30 points in like, I don't know, 30 games or something silly, but I'm just not going to expect them to. I get where they're coming from. And what I do, John, you know, when smart, you know, you're a smart guy, you sit in front of the TV, you sit in front of the computer, you're rewatching the game. You're just kind of like scratching your head and saying, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? I try to think like, what's the reasoning behind what they might be doing? Because if I were a coach, how would I think this group can win? that kind of thing. So I, I've moved myself mentally to where I think Todd Haley and his group of you know position coaches and, and Hugh Jackson have sat down and said, based on our personnel, what can we do well? We feel like we have more trust in the run game to take care of the football. We think we can establish that. Let's try to do it. Let's try to build a passing attack that comes off of that run game. It hasn't quite happened yet. But then, you know, you have Tyrod. What does Tyrod do? Well, he takes care of the football. He will take uh, advantage of his legs and opportunities that present himself there. Let's play a ball control offense. Let's try to grind out drives, take advantage of, you know, defensive mistakes. And then we'll try to take advantage. Like you said, it's a pseudo trestle ball. The problem you mentioned is that the special teams is pretty atrocious, and you have to account for that. And if you, continue to do what they're doing, which I don't expect it to change. They're just going to have to get better in that phase. Right. And I think that they watch the same film that we do and they know they're really bad and pretty much every phase of the kicking game, they're not very good. The return game, they've been okay. Okay. But the kicking game and covering kicks and field goal opportunities, they have just not been good. They have to get better at them if they're going to win some of these nail-biter type games. So good point by you. That's where I'm at. I think that if I were a fan of the Browns, uh, unless, like I said, the quarterback status quo changes, you are not going to see a different style of offense. And I've grown to accept where they're coming from. I've grown to accept where Hugh Jackson is coming from. Do I not like Hugh Jackson? Do I want them to upgrade to somebody else in the future? Of course. I'm not oblivious to that. But I know what Hugh Jackson's trying to do. And I think he's doing a nice job of not micromanaging things. It feels like. Now, I'm obviously on the outside. I'm not on the headsets. I'm not in the meeting rooms. But it feels like he's letting Todd Haley do what he wants. It feels like he's just kind of overseeing everything. Things need to be better. And ultimately, it falls on the head coach whether you win or lose. But... I, I'm not blaming him for what's going on. I get where he's coming from. He knows it's win-now mode. He knows he has to win games, so I understand some of his decision-making. If, Without a doubt, I think if they told Hugh Jackson, you have three years more guaranteed he's playing Baker Mayfield, he might already be doing it yep. because that relationship is so important and building it with your rookie right away – Is vital and you take your lumps, you start maybe one in four, one in five, and then you start figuring it out. So we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I don't expect it to change in the immediate future, but that's a little bit of where I'm at with them philosophically.
1: No, I understand what you mean and, uh, and I agree. And, uh, and I don't want to beat a dead horse on that. I think, uh, I think we are on the same page with that. So uh, I'll tell you what. Let's um, why don't we review some of the key matchups from last week that we had called out. Um, how do you think that uh, Ward and the Browns secondary did versus Thomas?
0: Mike Thomas is good. I mean, I don't. I don't really know what other way to put it. Um, you know, he caught all five targets against Terrence Mitchell for forty-three yards, and I didn't think Mitchell was bad. He was just some of the situations where the ball was out right on time coming out of a break and he didn't seem to get many yak yards, after, you know, yards after catch against him. I think he only had, him reading here, 18, which is par for the course on five targets. He also was five for five and rece- that's the thing about Michael Thomas. I think he's got like, like 28 targets this year and he's caught 25 and of them. A that's a sticky, ridiculous catch. Sticky, yeah, that's a ridiculous hand. catch. And, and you know, it speaks to Drew Brees, um, but it also speaks to Michael Thomas just running good routes, finding himself open and and making plays and and, and catching the football. Like you said, sticky hands are, are real. So he, he was five for five on Ward. He had 43 yards. He had a touchdown against both of them. He had the touchdown on the ball, uh, the li- quick little inside ton- motion tunnel, Screen they ran on the goal. What are you going to do learned. there?
1: Yeah, what are you going to yeah, do?
0: You got you to have one of your inside guys be alert enough to blow it up. I mean, there's just – there's. I think Mitchell got his arms on him, but it's the angle's terrible, so he, he slid off. Right,
1: that's not a play for the corner to make, I don't think.
0: No, 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 you're right. It's a linebacker or a slot nickel. Uh, jumping it, just figuring it out. You got to be hyper aware. Those situations are hard because you're you're really zoned in on your man, and they run that flat motion, and you don't see it to your peripheral vision, and it's too late. Just a really good scheme. Yeah. Sometimes you know schemes win. Um, and then they obviously he had the nice uh, over the top catch on Denzel Ward, and the, for that was like it was like a five yard touchdown or something like that. Um, i mean it's just a beautiful cat it was a beautiful throw beautiful catch he went up and got it over top of a, a face guarding ward and uh demarius randall came over late too he went up and got it over both of them so yeah he does it, he does it all i mean he's a budding superstar he's he obviously had the fumble early in the game. But I think he fumbled the week prior. I mentioned, I, I noted the broadcast had said that. So he's got. to- I'm sure he's going to work on that. Not stretching. Out. I mean, the fumble he had, he looked like he was trying to extend the ball for you know it was two yards past the first down marker. So just a mental thing there. But he's tough. They didn't do well against him. I thought he ate Denzel Ward up a little bit. Had a nice back shoulder on Ward. Ward's going to have. I mean, I'm okay with Denzel Ward face guarding, and he's going to have up and down. I mean, it's just people got mad at me because I put his stock was down this week. Well, I just, I do it on a game by game basis and his, his, he didn't play as well week two as he did week one. So, um, it's nothing against the kid. I think the kid's going to be a star, but he's got, he's going to do this face guarding thing. He's comfortable with. He's going to have to have really quick hands and he's going to have to have really strong hands because to pull that ball out against some of these guys who are elite, it is not easy to do. I mean, you can do that in college and knock the ball out of the likes of semi Cobb's and, Some of those guys, you know, playing at the Big Ten level, but, you know, Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown and A.J. Green, that's a different animal. So your timing has to be impeccable, and obviously your ability to use arm strength to drive the ball out of someone's hands has to be pretty uh, at least above average. And I know he's not the strongest guy in the world. So that's something to work on. Whether they, over the long haul, try to work on him finding the football or not is going to be interesting. But,
1: right. I think one of the things with that is I don't want him uh, arm wrestling these guys. If you're going to do the face garden thing, get an arm in, I'd rather have him have like a sudden hand, if that makes any sense to you. Like, I don't think you're going to win, you know, an arm wrestling contest with that ball in between. I've, I'd like to see him a little more sudden, a little more fierce with his hands at that point. To just try and disrupt that catch versus trying to rip it out after the guys already caught it,
0: yeah, I think you obviously have you have to be there at the point of him going and getting it because once those guys bring it in, like you know it's a good point by you it's it's not going to be taken out it, it's it, those guys are really good, and they get paid top dollar for a reason, so. I mean, he's good. He's sticky. He's quick. He, he runs well. He's shifty hips. I thought he tackled better than he did week Agreed. one, which, which was a good sign. But yeah, I mean, you're going to win some and lose some. We need him to make more plays on the, he's good. He's in good position. It's not like he's getting cooked on double moves. It's not like he's, you know, where, where is he going type He's, he's there. He's just got to continue to see reps in front of him and, and make plays. He'll be fine. Um, but yeah, that's the, Ward would, Ward. Little worse than last week, but Michael Thomas is a, is a dang good football player, too, in his own right. Right.
1: And that's a tough cover. He's, he's a big guy, too. Um, but moving on from there, uh, how do you think the secondary and uh, linebackers, basically just the back seven, did against Alvin Kamara?
0: fine I thought they did fine they the the screen game didn't yeah the screen game didn't harm us they I mean obviously New Orleans had a couple screens that got out on the perimeter and did okay got them 10 yards or so a couple chunks but they held him you know I think Kamara came out early in the game with a little wrist injury but he played all game pretty much and I think they played Kamara as well as anybody can play him I mean I, I I thought they kept him bottled up uh, in the run game that the, they didn't highlight that they, they weren't able to accentuate him in the past game. So I have nothing but positive things to say about holding, I think the hell Kamara to, you know, touchdown was under a hundred, maybe close to under a hundred totally. I
1: think, he, I think he was about 110, uh, something like that. Like, I think he, he was definitely under the 70. I think he had like 50 and 50, something, you know, in change, something like that. I, I, I'm not sure that you're going to see uh much better numbers defensively against Kamara uh, later this year. Uh that's about as good as you can expect and way better than I expected personally.
0: Yeah. Likewise.
1: All right. um, Offensive line against the new Orleans run defense. What'd you see there?
0: Struggled. um, Didn't climb to linebackers. Like I would like them to climb to linebackers. Didn't establish enough running lanes for their backs. They had a nice little start to the second half. I thought they played better offensively in the second half total in total. uh, But for the most part just uh just didn't didn't generate enough run alleys to make play and they're not to be honest with you John they're not really being done any favors they they faced a lot of eight man boxes that they were unable to the New Orleans brought an extra untouched defender, which is a problem I mean Cleveland's going to need to counter that. It was pretty evident that New Orleans had no respect for anything over the top or anything threatening them on play action in terms of actually holding them down and f- faking them out i mean I just been, I was at camp, and I don't do this very often. When I watch quarterback drills at camp, they just don't seem to really rep the footwork side of play action. I just—I was really—they're not them. it. No, and it, th- th- those are what you do in your indie periods. the The, the footwork should be repped every single day. They—they they do trash can throws, and I—I I don't, I don't like. I think doing our that screens because, are you know, suffering from
1: that same problem. I don't think yeah, we sell these things it's, very it's, well.
0: It's, no, and it's not just the quarterback in the screen game. You know that. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think they influence up front at all. I don't think they, they, they kind of, they spend too much time playing around with somebody trying to sell run and, and keeping, you know, and ke- or sorry, selling pass and keeping that guy in front of you to sell it. They're not encouraging defensive linemen upfield and it's just not fooling anyone. And it's really slow and the quarterback's kinda lobbing the ball. It's not NFL, everything hits quick in the NFL. You can't you can't lob throws on this like it just it's it hits too quick. You watch Aaron Rodgers play. You watch the best in the world that do this thing, man. It's it's sidearm little slings. It's it's creative ways to get that ball to him fast. It is not a mess around lob it over top of a DN sort of thing the way it is in high schools and colleges. So yeah. Anyway, uh, I just don't love the, I just don't love Tyrod's footwork. Maybe Baker's is better. I, I haven't seen it to know, but um, there's some things I wish they would clean up in that department. And, and if you're going to fool NFL level athletes to watch nonstop tape, you better, you better get 11 guys selling run to, to make it effective. So didn't run the ball well enough for me kind of to surmise the entire point of that question. They, they, they didn't climb like I'd like them to climb. And um, that's a problem
1: now. And, you know, Jake, uh, I'm a big believer in the, you know, numbers game when it comes to running the ball. Uh, we've had some discussions even on Twitter about this. Uh, I do not believe in running, uh, against bad numbers. Um, you know, and certainly not when we're not exhibiting the ability to execute, uh, you know, it's just not something that we're doing very well. And frankly, You know, we did get a couple to the outside late, uh, but, you know, if we have this stuff jammed up, um, you know, I know you've been in defense of Carlos Hyde, and I agree with you that he's been put in bad situations, (laughs) but, um, you know, I I do hope that if if things continue like this in the run game uh, blocking-wise, you know, I'd I'd much rather have Chubb breaking things to the outside than I would Hyde, and I'm not trying to just toss hide to the side or anything but man I really would like to stop running into you know these negative situations where like you said we've got an unblocked guy you know we've got seven blockers uh, and uh, we've got eight guys coming in against the run uh, we just are not doing enough with these double they keep trying these double tight ends or with a, a fullback and it just draws most of the defense right into that middle and, and we're just not able to execute against that type of defense
0: yeah, I know, I know, I know Carlos Hyde's been a hot topic. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just flat wrong, but I, the situations I've seen Carlos put in, I don't see situations where Nick Chubb is going to make a difference. Now, I do think Nick Chubb needs to play more. Like I had tweeted out, I think he needs to see two series where he's, on the field the entire time gets seven plus that seven to 12 carry range should be the target right now as they work him into this they don't trust him like i think they need to trust him in the past game and understanding everything yet they will get there he has he he has supreme talent there's no doubt he's a better athlete than carlos hyde he's younger he's fresher all the above i get it i mean i trust me i see it all i just um, like I said, I don't think they trust him like they need to, but they need to keep giving him more opportunities to prove himself, and 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 do trust him because I mean, you know, you're gonna he's gonna fail a little bit, but that's kind of the learning process. So, I would hope they get him a couple series uh, Thursday night. So, yeah, that that's uh that's where I'm at the running situation. It's it, you have to find more targets for Duke Johnson. I think we've all been saying that for two years and better ones. Yeah, it's just getting old saying it. I mean, the guy is. He could be used in so many different ways. I just pound my head against the wall that they don't use him in jet sweep action they don't use him in anything creative that can that can give him opportunities to yeah, make what happened
1: to that things. orbit action
0: yeah. yeah I mean they ran that orbit uh, that orbit screen or sorry it wasn't a screen it was a pin pull and it hit too slow i don't i just i don't know i i don't know i don't I don't love it i i I'm not going to sit here and be that guy who acts like he's a better coordinator than NFL coordinators. But I I just don't know how Todd Haley can look at what they're doing with Duke Johnson and feel like we're, we're, we're making the best of the talent this guy has. That's just kind of where I'm going to leave it.
1: I hear you. All right. Well, uh, moving on to something else here. How about the defensive line against uh, New Orleans passing game, particularly that quick passing game? I thought, uh, you know, personally uh, one of the things that I was hoping for, was to get Miles onto the inside, you know, either line him up there or loop him in, uh, you know, on a stunt. Um, really didn't see that very much. But uh, luckily, though, uh, Larry is learning some new pass moves, and boy, did he look good rushing the pass. I've never seen uh, some a couple of those moves that you broke down and showed on Twitter, and that's where we got some of that quick pressure up the middle.
0: Yeah, that's uh, it's a good point. I mean, obviously... Like you said, Miles Garrett was a little quiet, but they were sending a guard, they were sending a running back, and they were sending a tight end his way anytime they could. They clearly game plan for Miles Garrett, sure. which is yeah, you know, which is what you want. You want them to send extra help there because it's less people on the likes of Larry Joby, and that's that's good. Obviously, Larry uh, employed the club rip. Uh, I think on all three sacks, he might have used it and threw Max Unger off. And Max Unger is no slouch. He's one of the I top agree. five centers in the league, and. You know, they, he he. They traded Jimmy Graham for this guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he he displaced Unger ten yards into the backfield in, in Drew Brees' lap to make one of those sacks. So, I mean, that's I don't I don't throw around the word dominate another human being, but he when you can displace a center ten yards deep on skates like that in a pass situation, that's something. I mean, he he played special. He he's he's very special against pass situations i shouldn't say against it's in pass situations he is a pass rushing gap penetrating defensive tackle which causes him some issues in the run game so pro football focus didn't grade him out all too well because i actually didn't think he played well in the run game in terms of fitting his gap he he had some issues in the run game which uh, i thought was one of his more poor games on that side but people only see the sacks and that's what pops and like he makes hustle plays. He's not very big, John. So he's big. I mean, you, you stand next to him. He's a monster. I mean, his upper body is what is really impressive, but he's not like a mass of a human being the way Sean Rogers is or even Danny Shelton, just a, just a huge human who absorbs space. And he's not the Jamie Meter type. He's not the Shelton type. He is a gap penetrator. That's what they want from their defensive line. And you got that. So he he will make those sorts of plays in one-on-one situations where they don't help him. And he really does his best work in the shade on the on the center. So, you know, I expect him to continue to do big things, be a big part of what they do, um, you know, on the defensive line. I thought Chris Smith played well starting for Emmanuel Agba, made some nice plays. He hustles his butt off. He plays a hundred percent all the time, doesn't have the most talent in the world, but plays his butt off. Thought he played well. They did get Chad Thomas and uh, some of these others, Carl Davis, Anthony Zettel. I think they got him all around 10 snaps. Uh, it's not very good. Carl Davis didn't play very well, Just, just kind of blown off the ball a couple times. Chad Thomas is – I'm trying to be very positive about Chad Thomas, but I struggle to see how he finds success inside. With his current size – they're forcing it. They're they they're not willing to admit that they made a mistake here. It's so far, they could have a long term plan for this kid. Maybe it works out. we after seeing some Cam Irving tape, I'm willing to admit it can work out for anybody. <laughs> <Just put it laughs> That's that a good way. point. He's playing well in KC for the most part. He's not great, but he's just kind of holding it down. And when you have Patrick Mahomes getting the ball out quickly, it, you can you can win games that way. But. Um, yeah, I, I, just, I don't know. I, 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 didn't really, I wasn't inspired with the second group of, of linemen. I don't know how much they're going to play. Javon Coley played better than he did week one and week two. So, um, but yeah, I have, I have issues. It's going to be something I pay attention to because I think Thursday they're going to rotate heavy. They're obviously playing shorthand. Right. In, in a quick turnaround situation, I do not expect Miles Garrett to play every single defensive snap. I think he played every snap but one on Sunday. Yeah. He's played every snap except for one in two games now. So, um,
1: and I want to say, like, I, I'm not a big fan of that. You know, I know that. You know, I thought maybe he was playing about seventy percent last year. I thought that was a little low. I know he got in better shape so that he could play more, but I don't think that. Okay, like, I, somebody can slam me if they want, but I don't know that I want him having two games in a row where he plays every snap and that includes a five quarter game. Like I'm not sure that that's what's best for him long-term either. So I'd like to see him a little closer to the 90% than a hundred.
0: I'm with you. I mean, I don't, I, I, it surprised me. I think that they're waiting on somebody else to, I mean, the Ogba injury hurts because they were rotating Chris Smith and he could have given him a little bit more of a break, but how they handle Thursday will be very interesting to me in terms of how many snaps they give him. Yep. Uh, you know, that's just going to tell a big story about where they stand on trusting any of this defensive line, uh, d- you know, depth. I, Zettel's got to play more um and be somewhat impactful and then the um who's the cat they brought over from the vikings one yeah and they have to get more out of uh, a feedie who they brought over from minnesota at the waiver wire too i mean he's he's a big body obviously see, the prototypical dn 63260 they they need to i don't know if there's something going on with him he's been inactive i, I hope they can they can get him out thursday and play a little bit cuz they need to give you know miles some snaps off so Uh, I I mean, I, they're going to have to play well this week to win too.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. We need to get a little more out of that. Uh, You know, we shuffled, uh, we shuffled a bunch right around cut day and brought some people in who I thought would get a little more snaps. And certainly this would be the place that you would expect them to get those being on the short week, uh, where guys, you know, we need to rotate to, to be fresh only having a few days of rest. Uh, But uh, hopping into trying to wrap up this uh, Saints game, uh, how about the uh, couple of key plays for this game? Where do you think this game really turned?
0: So 12-3, they missed the field goal with about mm, 12 minutes left that I thought could have put them up 16-3 at that time, which is really two touchdowns to beat them. You could feel it, you know, as a Browns fan, you always kind of know that feeling you you get when something goes sideways. Miss that. They get it to third down. Ogan Joby has a sack where he fights through a center guard tandem, brings Breeze down by his leg, and they call one of the worst illegal contact penalties I have seen on Derek Kendred. That was one of the key plays I highlighted for the OBR. Just a terrible call. Like if a guy runs an out and up and you're pursuing the out and he turns to go up and you have your hands on him but you don't even impede his progress and your hands and your hands immediately go off. It's not. It's not a penalty. It's just not. I agree. And they they call it. It swings the game. They go down. They score a touchdown on that drive, and it's all downhill. Obviously, the tie rod interception was pretty terrible in the situation. Five minutes left. Twelve ten. You could really have a heck of a drive and put that game away. And I don't understand how right.
1: he didn't see that safety. Did you see when you looked at
0: the coach's film what he was thinking, John? He didn't even look for him. He didn't see him. Period. Like that felt like 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 middle school football it was they ran a two-man route they max protected they kept two tight ends in and marcus williams had nobody else to manipulate himself it was literally he was just keying in on two routes and tyrod never looked left at higgins on the nine route takeoff. he he just sat there and squatted on whatever his eyes were telling him and you know, Tyrod stares at him the whole time. He, he initially comes off the fake with his eyes on him, has to slide right after Carlos Hyde picks up the pressure and just throws it right into his la- I d- I just... It was bad. I, as, yeah, as a quarterback coach, I don't even know what I would say to him. I would say, give me your thought process. Like, what are you thinking? And I'm not sure he's going to have a good answer. Like, you step up, you identify the coverage, a single high pre-snap. Where the heck did that guy go if he's not gone? Exactly. You know, and some of that is short quarterback stuff. Like, guys you know, a big knock on Tyrods, he doesn't use the middle of the field because you can't see it that well. And when everything's congested, like it was with the Browns, when they're in 12 personnel so often, 13 and 22 and all that nonsense, you get congested boxes and he just didn't see them. So it was ugly. And then, um, you know, the last, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, you can say that the Zane Gonzalez missed PAT didn't have an impact, but because they went down and kicked a field goal, but I thought that, like, the Browns just got defeated right there. I agree. Like, you could you could see guys in the sideline. You could see Hugh Jackson's face. You could see it all, and it was like they just knew that New Orleans was going to march down and kick a field goal and win it. It, it, it. I think if they make that PAT, it's a different sort of feeling from the defense running on the field, and it probably changes. So, um, you know, it just just – just tough john just tough we should probably move on
1: (laughs) yep no i hear you all right uh so we'll move on all right jake well let's hop into some team news unfortunately uh this requires a section this week because we had an awful lot of off the field news for the browns this week let's start with josh gordon uh saturday night obviously was a surprise for me uh, what were your thoughts? And and I guess we can just to go ahead and include the compensation, even though we didn't find out till Monday. What were your thoughts overall on how this ended up going down?
0: Stunned. Um, you know, I was initially stunned in my living room getting ready to watch the Ohio State game, and you, you read that you read that you know Josh Gordon's gonna be out with the hamstring injury, which came out of nowhere. And I just immediately got a gut reaction of, well, something's up, because this is this is too out of the blue on too close to a game day. I initially thought suspension, as I'm sure 99% of people did. And then you're sitting, I got a text from a friend, Gordon released, and I'm like, what? And <laughs> you, you hop on Twitter, and it's just very bizarre. I, I mean, it's bizarre in the moment. When I sit back and think about it, here's how I think it went down. John Dorsey said, we're trying to change the culture in this building. Met with Josh Gordon as he needed to take this sabbatical for whatever reason that we will never know takes the sabbatical. He says, Hey man, I'm willing to do this for you. I'm willing to have our focus in camp. You're going to continue to come up nonstop. I'm willing to take this for you, but you're walking a tightrope, Um, and I don't want any issues after this. Like this is your, you're our guy, you're bought in You're hundred percent. And he didn't, he obviously had the photo shoot hurts his hamstring is, is, is the story that we know. And, um, that's it. John Dorsey, I'm not doing it. I think he's trying to put his foot down. He's trying to eliminate any and all cancers indicated by the Corey Coleman trade. Just, they just don't want it anymore, and I don't blame them. I mean, it took you – know, the guy's played 11 games since 2014 started. You know, it's he's the, – the thing I will always say about Josh Gordon is the idea of Josh Gordon is, is always better than the reality. So I don't blame him. Hey, go to New England and 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 you know rip the face off of the world, man. Do do your thing. I, if that works out for him, that's cool. Because right now we're on two opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of where we are and where New England is, and it doesn't matter to me. You know, Tom Brady's going to retire from there before long, and he's going to have a quarterback issue there. So it it you know the, the it is what it is. I'm fine with it. I'm sick of thinking about him. I was sick of thinking about him when he took his sabbatical. Just move on, find a long-term solution with guys who want to be here and, and who buy in.
1: Yeah, um, I I can't disagree with any of that, and I think that Hard Knocks really kind of provided a view into this early on, and it and it was goes back to that sabbatical. And I'll tell you what, it'll tell you a little bit about, you know, the dynamic between Hugh and Dorsey because when he gets that initial phone call or when he gets that phone call that says, you know, I'm going to be back soon, coach, or something like that, and you can see Dorsey is not having it. All right, Dorsey is pissed off that Gordon is not in camp and that he's kind of toying around with them. Meanwhile, Hugh is like a, you know, little kid waiting for his Christmas toy uh, to come, you know, come to him on Christmas morning and uh, I can guarantee you that this was a Dorsey move and it didn't have a whole lot to do with Hugh Jackson and that Hugh didn't really have much of a say in this Uh, just, and I think he really could see that in hard knocks.
0: Yep. I think you're right. I think, you know, if you look at it, like you said, the phone text conversation that he got when he was in Dorsey's office and then the whole, the Eagle has landed or the bird has landed thing he did with Todd Haley on the field during the, I think it was the Philadelphia uh, preseason game or something like that. One of those preseason, Buffalo or something. And uh, he just is like a kid. Yeah, he's like a giddy kid. I mean, he, you know, he's playing, he's coached a team that's pretty defunct of talent. So I get why he was excited. Um, you know, he wants players that can go make plays and I, I get it. But I do think John Dorsey's like, I'm not having it anymore. I've seen it from afar. The league is mocking you. I'm not going to be a part of this running joke this is my decision. I'm giving you this one last chance as a part of this new structure going forward. And if you mess up, it's on you. And that's why I think even John, that they released the, the statement came from not the Browns, but John Dorsey himself Yeah. when they released the statement. So it, it had his hands all over that one. You're right.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we didn't get much from him, but we never were going to, you know, we just never were going to. Uh, And that was kind of always the thing with Josh Gordon. And, you know, the argument to hold on to him was you were never going to get anything, you know, and I understand, uh, like you said, that they just reached the end of their rope. Uh, So there's no real arguing about compensation. I mean, you knew what you were going to get if you dealt him. And frankly, to get a fifth was maybe a little more than what I thought was possible Uh, when you go about it the way that they did, uh, the guy's on his last strike. So, you know, I understand, uh, the sentiment of where, you know, you went through all this, why cut bait now? I understand that point of view, but, um, I don't understand people hemming and hawing about the compensation because you were flat out never going to get, um, you know, anything near what you might imagine he's worth. Um, anyway,
0: yeah it's all risk award the n f l trademark's weird anyway, and you're never gonna see a team put too much of their asset into um a player that's you know like it's been said seventy five thousand times has played eleven games in four years, so um you know that's the, they got something back which is which is fine by me. I just kind of expected them to release
1: him, so. yeah no I agree um Now, uh, how about we talk about who they picked up and why and where they found him (laughs) Streeter?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Rod Streeter has been hurt the last few years. Uh, he, uh, apparently he had a pretty decent, he obviously had a decent 13. He had over 800 yards. He has connections to Hugh Jackson from his Oakland time, um, he had a decent preseason. Um, he only played 48 total snaps, but he was decent in Buffalo in the preseason. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. It, it it doesn't move the needle. It won't move the needle. He's just another body at the position. One that I don't expect to make much of an impact, being so far removed from a productive uh, any of his production. But, you know, maybe Hugh knows something that we don't. For all I know, uh, his last productive years were around Hugh, so um, 2013 wasn't. But nonetheless, it's it's just another body when they let one go.
1: Yep, I hear you. Well, uh, the other news was uh, Zane Gonzalez was released. You know, uh, I think that, you know, I, deservedly so, he's going to take a lot of the brunt for the loss. I, you know, he was a huge reason that we lost. You could, you can't say that he's the only reason, but he was a huge reason that we lost. Uh, a lot of people want to pile on, you know, the fact of the matter is just the way it goes. I understand you release him. Uh, the guy was a great college kicker. Uh, he had a decent rookie year. He won a contest to start this year. It's not like they didn't bring in competition in camp for him. Uh, you know, so, um, as far as what, happened with his injury. I don't know. You know, the, if I had to guess, maybe that's something that a, um, that a agent leaked, uh, and it could be something where, uh, the team didn't know and he, and he held that, uh, held that back. You know, there's very few made men when it comes to the kickers in the national football league. Very few of them can have an injury and be kept, uh, on a roster. It's just really generally not the way it works except for a, a small handful of them. So I don't know whether, you know, he got injured during the game, whether he was injured and didn't tell anybody, whether he was injured and Hugh Jackson knew and played him anyway. What were your thoughts on that, Jake?
0: I, I don't believe the injury thing for one second. I think somehow that got leaked because Zane wants to kick in the league again. Like I don't think Hugh Jackson sits down with, with Zane and even if he has a known injury, like, the trainers are going to know. Like, but think about this, John. There's only one way that that news gets out, and it gets out by somebody telling Adam Schefter after the game something that Hugh – if Hugh knew, he wouldn't say he didn't know because that's silly. It, in no way does it benefit Hugh to lie about that or play a kicker who's hurt. So if Zane tells him he's good to go, he's going to play Zane. Like, he's going to play him. And then Hugh would say after the game, obviously, would be – yeah, Zane's having a little bit of growing tightness, but we 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 worked it out. We watched him. We watched right. him kick. We charted kick. Like th- th- That's how it would go. So I don't really buy that. I think Zane wants to kick in the league again, so his crutches, while well, I was hurt, that's what happened. But the dude's driving footballs. So he had no leg issues. I mean, you could talk about overcompensation, and that's why he's maybe missing some of these, but I just don't buy that. I don't buy it at all. Um, you know, they made the change. I, I just I don't know how to feel about it. You know, the biggest part of kicking in the NFL is going to be general accuracy. But then after that, it's, it's being able to not be moved by the moment and step into big moments and make kicks that matter. Um, I'm not sure I ever got the vibe from Zane that he was comfortable doing that. He always, I know he has the whole OCD thing. He just, he always looked nervous and panicked and his body language never looked right to me. So, um, do I think it's smart to cut him? Like, maybe I I don't, it feels a little overreaction to me. Like I just don't, I think the situation tells you, you have to cut him. But when I sit back and think about it, like, are you finding a better kicker on the market? Like they brought in the Greg Bryant kid, uh, you know, he's from Florida Atlantic and, you know, he lost the kicking battle in Miami um, to, to a kicker that Miami drafted. So that's not a real big surprise because if you draft somebody, you want them to make your roster more than an undrafted free agent. So I, the kid wasn't all too accurate. I mean, he was 70 percent 75%-ish in college. Is, is that going to make a difference? I know that it seems like lately the best kickers out of college, Roberto Aguayo, and and now zane haven't kicked well in the nfl but some of it is showing faith in him i get both sides of it, it, it this bryant kid if you if you've paid attention to his interviews in cleveland this week he seems super confident that to me is a big part of kicking in the nfl you got to believe in yourself you got to believe you're going to make it you got to have a little bit of swagger um you know other than like you said some of the made men who are it's like 70 years old and who are still kicking the matt <laughs> bryants of the world and veterans and I'm sure I'm leaving somebody else out. Sebastian Janikowski he's like a, he's like a fossil. Hey, so, yeah. So it, it kicking's weird, man. It's super, there's just a bunch of variants involved and it's obviously not an easy task because you're know, kicking with guys barreling down on you and pressure pack moments when an entire stadium's yelling. And it just is what it is. I think that they don't, I don't think it would have been fair to bring back Zane in front of this home crowd and, let them miss something and they they literally are throwing bottles on the field again, type of thing. So I get it. Hopefully all you can do is cross your fingers that the Bryant kid is better than Zane has been. And he's better than his college production was. And, you know, we'll just, we'll just see how it plays out.
1: Yep. I agree. Nothing more to be said there really. We'll see what we get. Uh, We'll see what we get very quickly. So uh, I'll tell you another topic that's been popular on Twitter lately is Dorsey and whether he got, you know, this, a lot was made of, uh, you know, when you use the draft value charts, the Browns had technically had one of the biggest war chests in terms of draft value that had ever been assembled, uh, in recent draft history or even historic. And so, you know, with, I think five picks in the what top 65, uh, four picks inside the top 35, um, uh, you know, we are only getting production from, you know, one of those players at this point. And so, uh, you know, what were your thoughts uh, as some people are questioning some of the selections that were made in the draft and, and what the Browns are getting out of that?
0: So, my always, my, my thought here will always be the success of this class will come down to Baker Mayfield at the end of the day. Even if you get two or three guys of your, you know, of your first. Five picks in the 65 that are productive if you miss on the quarterback it won't matter later on true, it's true it's just that's that's where it's at now the, the the peripherals of the whole thing with four of the five guys aren't playing aren't seeing snaps really f- coming into an 0-16 team that's a bit concerning it's always too early to judge a draft class you know that everybody listening should know that but it right now the peripherals look weird like Nick Chubb's not playing much Austin Corbett I thought was going to be a productive player at least he dressed this week he played four snaps as an extra lineman uh he you know I'm I'm surprised by that but that, that you know that especially given the plethora of players that were there when they picked Austin Corbett it's a little confounding but I, I don't know. Chad Thomas is an enigma. He's a positionless player right now. He's being played as a D tackle and I just don't think he's an NFL caliber player yet. And then um, you know, obviously uh, who am I who am I leaving out? I've said four. Help me. Oh, no, you got, uh, Ward is playing. So, Ward is your significant snap guy right now. You know, it's, it's early, it's early, John. It'll all come down to Baker. I think you think Nick Chubb has a bright future. I don't see how you don't think Austin Corbett eventually plays, but I don't think many people when they, when they saw their own painting of what this draft class would look like, that they wouldn't draft guys that were immediate impact players that are down the road players. And maybe that speaks to the level of talent they have that's here. Um, they think that they have enough talent here for the hole that they thought they could take. Projection type players that would be an impact later on. That's that could be the thought process. So um, who knows? But right now the peripherals don't look great. It's too early to judge. It will eventually all come down to Baker. But um, that's 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 sort of where I'm at. It's way too soon to throw hot takes out about the draft
1: yeah I agree and you know that I'm a draft junkie too and uh, here's what I would say about it uh, you know we all know why Baker isn't playing uh, you know whether you agree with that or don't agree with that uh, I don't think there's any reason to be concerned about that selection uh, Ward looks pretty good so we're going to move on from that um, Corbett is your first question one you know talking about the first pick of the second round I have no qualms about who he is as a player. Um, uh, now, moving on from that, like, you know, what I thought, and I think what a lot of, you know, the draft thought were, was that he was clearly an interior lineman, and maybe a center, maybe a guard, uh, but a very quality prospect uh, where you were going to stick him. And, I don't think he was ever going to be a tackle. And so th- my only criticism that I would give uh, has nothing to do with the players because we're going to see how they turn out down the line. But I would question, at least with the Corbett pick, uh, the process that went into that. It seemed like, you know, one of two things happened. Either one, they made a misevaluation that maybe he could play tackle when I don't think that was ever the case. Or two, you know, then they took a depth guy, you know, a guard or tackle with the first pick in the second round. So while I really like Corbett as a player, I will just take one second and say that I don't like the process that went into that pick personally. Um, I do think that eventually he's going to be a good player. Um, I, I'm kind of looking at him as a center, uh, long term, but he might be a guard as well. And I think he is a very quality player. I just would question. The process that went into making that selection in this year at the top of the second round.
0: Yeah, good point. I think that they, my thought for where I thought they were was this is a terrible tackle class. We'll take a lotto pick on this kid. We think maybe he could be a tackle. Like we, his, his tape is entirely left tackle. Maybe he could be a left tackle. Um, if it doesn't pan out, we see a projectionable inside player. It didn't happen as quick as we wanted that transition. I didn't think he was that bad in the preseason, but apparently they did, which that's fine. Um, and they, they, they thought maybe he could transition quickly into a, an interior lineman. It didn't happen as quickly as they wanted to. So he's a down the line prospect. But yeah, you're right. Questioning the process there. I don't hate it, but I also hate where they got it. I don't think you need to take guards and running backs for what impacts NFL wins. I don't think you need to take guards and running backs high in the draft. And they did that. And, uh, you know, guys like Harold Landry and Cortland Sutton and uh, Josh Jackson are all still on the yeah. board at that point. Guys who, you know, do top flight corners um, and Josh Jackson's proving to be a really good corner. You know, those types of really good corners aren't on the field. You know, they're go- I'm sorry. They're going to impact winning that type. The Harold Landry types, the defensive ends more than centers and running backs. I mean you get the, the running back who's leading the draft class is Philip Lindsay, the undrafted free agent playing for Denver <laughs> the kids out of Colorado. He's just a little guy, but he was a tough kid. And Col- I mean, it's just, it's very weird, man. I don't, I don't love where their thought process was in the draft, but again, it could all pan out in two years. They could all work out well. Gennard Avery's obviously a hit it, it's in Antonio Calloway is proving to be a hit. Uh, for the most part, it's early and you don't know where his career is going to go with his personality, but it's it's the early picks those those five and the 65 right now uh, early returns are not positive
1: no and we'll see where that goes you know uh, we both feel the same way about the draft it's a long-term game we'll see where it goes and it might be like you just pointed out it might be one of those cases that's strange where if you mixed up the order of those picks you'd still be happy with the class so why make a big deal out of it uh, so we'll, we'll see where it ends up, you know, uh, Jannard Avery may be a guy where if you took him at the top of the second round, uh, long-term, everybody would have loved that pick knowing where he was going to go. So we'll, we'll see and hope for the best, uh, that wraps up the, the saints game and the team news. Let's move on to the jets preview. Um, you know, I think that, uh, obviously the center of attention for this whole thing and, uh, a guy that's always going to be tied to Baker Mayfield is Sam Darnold. Uh he won the starting job or was given depending on how you look at it. Uh but uh, he's had two games here to look at Jake, how do you how are you viewing how Sam Darnold looks as a rookie here after two games?
0: You know, Sam Sam is really about kind of what we thought he was going to be um a guy who is not uh immune to turning the ball over on occasion, but will also do a lot of the things you love modern NFL quarterbacks to do, and that's work from multiple platforms, work inside and outside of, you know, what we call structure, which is this the scheme of the play, be able to make things happen outside of what the initial play should be. And he's doing those things well uh, as a whole, uh, I think, Darnold's grading out at a 62.4 through two games, which is, you know, about what you would expect your rookie to do. He's he's made some ugly decisions, but he's also made some throws that have said, okay, I get why they, they like this kid, and I get why I liked him. Uh, he was my one B to Baker's 1A uh, as a prospect. So he's he's about what you would expect. Now, Jeremy Bates, their offensive coordinator, does some things for him. They're going as to, they, as they have done, or as Bates even did last year with McCown, is try to get the ball out of his hands quickly. It's a West Coast scheme by principle, and, uh, you know, it'll, it'll be fine. Sam is probably just playing not to lose them games right now. He'll do enough. They they attack short areas of the field, uh, take their chances down the field when they feel like they get a good matchup, which sounds pretty similar to what we do. So it's going to be um, which offense takes care of the ball better, which offense runs the ball a little bit better, that's going to determine Thursday.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And uh, I I think that Sam has looked pretty good um, at times. I think he's been up and down. Like you said, I think it's about what you'd expect from him. Uh, He definitely had a bit of a rough game, I thought, this last week. Uh, I think where he's at his most dangerous is when they roll him out or if he is comfortably able to escape the pocket. Um, Like you said, uh, you know, outside of structure, he could be deadly there. Um, you know, he, he did do pretty well there. But uh, this last game, I didn't think he was very accurate. Um, I think he will take some chances uh, if you pressure him, um, and he's not able to easily get away from that pressure. Um, I think he, right now, is a little bit better um, kind of rolling out, like I said, um, versus staying in the pocket and going through several reads. I think Bates does a good job of getting him a lot of good uh, first read throws, you know, very short, get the ball out quick. Um, And uh, I see a lot of times where he's able to get that, that ball out on his first read. It seemed like where he was kind of stuck in the pocket, maybe feeling a little bit of pressure and having to go through that second, third read is where he might, you know, make some throws that, a little bit uh, disadvantageous uh, and, you know, sometimes he can make those. I mean, he's got a great arm and uh, and he can do things there, but I definitely saw him taking some risks that uh, you saw at USC. So I, I do think he's still kind of the Sam that you saw at USC and uh, he was a great prospect, uh, but up and down uh, as you would expect from a 21 year old. I mean, youngest quarterback to start games uh, younger than, Kaiser was last year. So uh, he, he only had, what, 20, 20 starts, something like that in, in college. So definitely a lot of coverages that he still hasn't seen yet. And there's going to be a learning process that he goes through through this whole year.
0: Yeah, it's going to be up and down. Um, I like their plan with him. Their plan's been pretty clear from the jump, and I think that they'll continue to start him. You'll see the ups and downs. You'll see things that you like, things that you don't like. He's—it's just going to be for him as rookie year. John is how he balances, um, you know, more good than more bad. So that'll be something I pay attention to. And really, how he plays Thursday will be very interesting to me for a team that blitzes often. How he handles the blitz how he handles an elite defensive end that kind of stuff will be will be very interesting and and I'm sure Browns fans who wanted him a lot of them did will certainly be waiting to fire off hot takes left and right
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah and the same I'm sure either um, on the other side I'm sure people will be happy to see him fail um you know, uh, I don't need to see him fail. I just want Baker to be better. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I don't have anything against the kid. Um, I think there was a ton to like, and just like I said during the draft process, I just think that there was a uh, this was a very good class, um, and he was near the top of it. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Scheme wise, what do you expect to see um, on the Jets' offense versus the Browns' defense on Thursday?
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be similar to it's really going to be similar in a way to New Orleans. They're going to get the ball out quick. They're going to throw some stretch play action stuff at Cleveland, so they're going to have to be they're going to have to be disciplined and uh, uh, honor gaps and then be able to hold down the backside for naked boot stuff. They're going to try to get the ball, like I said, out of his hands quick, quick throws. Quincy Noon is their slot receiver who's playing really good football to start the year, is leading them in several categories. They're they're taking advantage of him. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's going to be stretch run game, some inside zone run game, and then they're going to try to get the ball out of Darnold's hands quick off play action. And, uh, and I expect the Browns that are going to have to be Picky and choosy again about where they, they go attacking-wise. I expect them to blitz more, young quarterback, uh, home field advantage, crowd noise, primetime game, all that stuff. So I do expect them to bring a little bit more heat than they did last week, uh, which would be, in my opinion, would be relatively wise. Expect a little bit of zone blitz, too, uh, about on par for what they're doing. Obviously, it's going to be on film, and 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 uh, Darnold's going to know it's it's a part of what the Browns do, but it can confuse young quarterbacks on occasion as well.
1: Yeah, I'd like to see some combo coverage. Um, I'm I'm right in the same spot that you are. I would like to see a little bit more blitzing and yet a similar approach. Uh, you know, I think dropping guys uh, can be very effective. I don't want to see uh, too much up the middle where we're making it easy for him to get outside the pocket where he's very comfortable and where we can lose some guys in coverage. So I'd like to kind of keep things calm, uh, you know, do some uh, – you know, disguised blitzes and some combo coverages that might uh, confuse him. So, um, I, I think that there'll, there'll be opportunities for that. And so hopefully Greg will do that and not, you know, go crazy with his blitzes or try and send seven or, you know, do zero blitzes where we don't need to.
0: Yeah. And he might go against the buck. He might say, you know, our, our tape for the first two weeks shows a ton of blitzing and, uh, and 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 I might just go like you said I might change it up do a lot of combo coverage stuff show blitz and bail make this kid beat coverage because he's comfortable you know he might be comfortable knowing where blitzes are coming from seeing some 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 mental images and pre-snap that he's seen from the Browns where they're blitzing people and uh, they end up dropping and and saying hey you know we'll we'll get after you with our front four beat us in beat us in coverage and that I actually might now that I think about it that might be where where Greg Williams goes
1: yeah i'm hoping so um now moving on to the browns and maybe getting something going on the offensive end where do you see us being able to get something going against the jets
0: the jets are playing without marcus may they're playing uh a, a backup which is their free safety by nature jamal adams plays closer to the line so they're um Excuse me, <laughs> they're, they're they're playing Doug Middleton uh, until Marcus May comes back. I think Marcus May's questionable. They have Tremaine Johnson, who's obviously a, a stout corner. They're playing. They signed Claiborne as their second corner, who's fine. Uh, they're, they're, I think they're good defensively. Darren Lee's playing really well through two games in, in in the middle for them, all over the field. Which we knew Darren Lee would eventually be good. If you all remember him from Ohio State. Uh, Leonard, Absolutely. Yep, Leonard Williams is their interior defensive line threat. Jamal Adams is good. They, they fly around. I think the thing you have to do with the Jets is take advantage of over-aggressiveness. Like, last year, I know the Browns beat them on a couple play actions. If you recall, that was the game that Najoku had that ridiculous one-handed catch from Kevin Hogan on that corner route off play action. So, uh, and, and and just I'm just really getting through the Dolphins game. They are quick they get to the football so misdirection split zone moving people gap schemes taking advantage of slants and over aggression up front gap shooters you you love to run gap schemes and which include power and counter to combat those things and give your offensive line some angles in the run game Uh, anything that's going to cause their eyes to slip for a second They need to clean up, play action. I don't know. They may they may go a little bit more screen game and find some success in that too. So it's a zealous group um, that plays hard. I mean, they play really hard. So if you're predictable, which the Browns have been in situations they've been putting themselves in, they will bury you. So I hope that the Browns can use some deception, eye manipulation, and uh, get Tyrod to get out on the perimeter and make some throws, use his feet, that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. And it looked like a little bit of a strength versus strength situation where, um, it looks like most of their pressure and their aggressiveness coming up the middle, you know, where we've been very strong, at least not, not, uh, in run blocking, but in pass blocking, um, it looks like they're not getting a ton of pressure, I don't believe from the outside, um, I'd like to see us, you know, doing some counter, getting some things to the outside, um, you know, maybe some reverse, uh, something like that. To, uh, but not running and trying to. I'm not sure this is the right week uh, to try and get that inside zone going. Uh, from what I saw against the Dolphins,
0: no, they'll they'll play that fine. The only way I really want to see zone stuff is off duo where you're selling run opposite of where your linemen are going. I think that'll be a big part of what they do. Darren Lee isn't a big guy. They might run a little bit of ISO downhill at him, um, climb some linemen up to him via trap, maybe some of those sorts of things. I think they need to be creative. Not so much creative, but um, I think it's going to be a big week of gap blocking for them.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can see that. All right, uh, let's get into key matchups uh, specifically. Uh, Jamal Adams uh, and David Njoku. uh, I I happen to agree with you. Uh, I'm starting to worry a little bit about where Njoku's season is going to go. I, you know, it's starting off a little rough. I'm not, you know, not hitting the panic button, but certainly this is not what we envisioned for his second year here.
0: No, no, he's not doing well. I don't think he's being given a lot of shots down the middle of the field in the seam where he did a lot of damage last year and where he did some damage in the preseason. So I would really prefer that they give him some of those chances. Uh, I think Jamal Adams will probably be covering him more often than not. So, um, you know, Jamal Adams is a really sound tackler. Um, sound pass rush guy, but he is susceptible in coverage every now and again. He's he's the peak of what we want Jabril Peppers to be—that guy who right. is downhill, sound tackler can get after and be effective in in those edge rushing plays where your your defensive coordinator sends that extra extra um, you know rush guy. So that matchup's interesting to me. I think they can win some of those with some double moves or even just sending them down the seam off play action. So. Uh, that 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 one's going to be very very interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, but how do you feel about Antonio Callaway? I'm hoping that uh, they get him a lot more involved. You know, with Josh Gordon gone, uh, I'm thinking he'll get some targets here. There's some people that have been uh, pegging him as more of a um, couple play, couple big plays per game type guy. I think he can be a lot more than that. But he might be looking up uh, going against Tremaine Johnson. This weekend, how do you see him playing out there?
0: Uh, Tremaine's a big dude; he's a big guy. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I think Callaway has a speed advantage on him. Going to be important for him to use that get off the line with no issues. Um, I'd imagine Johnson tries to be pretty physical with him in that five-yard box. So. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, it'll be a good test for him. I know that Jarvis Landry's probably going to find himself with Buster Screen, a name a lot of Cleveland fans are familiar with their slot guy. Morris Claiborne probably finds Higgins. It's all going to be where they move guys, you know, in two wide receiver sets, Landry will find himself probably against Claiborne a little bit too. Claiborne's playing good football to start the year. So, um, yeah, it, 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 the wide receivers situations can be won. Just like last week, I think that the the Browns took advantage of certain situations, and the Jets are pretty aggressive. I think that they don't love to have too deep uh, looks all the time, so there can be shots taken downfield. And uh, you know, if, if the Browns feel like being aggressive, it's a good week to be aggressive.
1: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, you brought up uh, Buster Screen. Uh, he had a pretty poor week last week, and I could see Landry having a day against him if he has a similar week. Uh, and if Todd Haley's looking at that film from last week, I, I can see them singling him out. Um, because he he got worked all over the field last week. Yeah, it's
0: going to be getting three wide receivers on the field often. That's how you you know you as a coordinator can manipulate personnel. You can get that right. So hopefully that's something they feel they can get uh, a situation they can get Landry into coverage with screen and you know work that five to to, to twelve yard window with him often.
1: Yeah, and uh, as far as just the Jets wide receivers, they've got some athleticism out at wide receiver. Anu uh, Inou- Anuma definitely looks the best out of out of all of them. Uh, he's looked excellent, I think, and, and can do a lot after the catch. Uh, how do you feel like this secondary is going to do against uh, this type of attack here? What I saw, just to kind of lead you into it too, what I saw that was a little strange is that uh, it seems like Bates will run. Uh, like uh, base personnel, like 11 personnel, but split them out and get them like almost an empty set. So where he's got, he's got a tight end and he's got a running back, but he's almost running empty sets out of that to kind of help identify coverage and maybe create some mismatches.
0: Yeah. Good point. That's what they do. They're going to try to, you know, use a running back wide to see who chases him, motion him out of the backfield, that kind of stuff, to help their young quarterback identify coverage. It's always wise, in my opinion, to do that. Motion is underutilized in the NFL. Um, and, and, you know, Anun was fine. He'll be in the slot. T.J. Carey will get a majority of cover, you know, coverage on him. They're going to play Terrell Pryor, uh, from a name we're familiar with, who's still a long, lanky gazelle not very great in and out of cuts, but is a big guy and can go get the football. They're going to play Robbie Anderson, um, who's a burner. I expect Denzel Ward to find him pretty often. Uh, I would would expect him to find him really often. And then, you know, you're going to get tight end is going to be, it looks like early in the year, Chris Herndon, the rookie out of Miami, is seeing a majority of snaps for them. I had scouted Herndon; I thought he was more blocker than pass catcher, but you know he's he's doing okay. I think he's got a couple catches to his name. He'll be ineffective. I, I don't think the Browns will struggle with the tight end this week if they if they just kind of you know cover themselves. They don't need to do anything special. I think that they can take care of the likes of Herndon as long as a uh, you know Darnold doesn't break break out of structure and make some throws downfield where he gets lost, that sort of thing. But, you know, the Browns should have every opportunity to win pass coverage situations. I think their talent is superior to uh, New York's weapons on the perimeter. Yeah, I agree. A lot uh, of that, I, I should they've... say, too, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, Demarius Randall playing, I think, is going to help if he's back there. I mean, they can play Body Cahoon, but Body only played five snaps last week. And I'm not sure I'd I'd heard rumblings of a groin injury for him, but he played special teams and was running around everywhere. I don't know. So we'll see. I don't I don't dislike body back there. But um, Demarius Randall, I feel like brings a level of swagger confidence and, uh, you know, big play, you know, breaking ability from the free safety position that if they're without him, it's going to decrease their chances a little bit
1: yeah he's had a great start to the season overall, I think. Uh, very opportunistic. Um, as far as getting into the pass rush, this is our last kind of key matchup here. the you know uh, the Browns pass rush, uh, Larry Gonjobi, uh, you know having the the week that he had last week, uh, miles, um, you know, it doesn't seem like an overwhelming offensive front to overcome for some pressure, I think.
0: No, get those matchups can be won. I think Bates, again, will try to get the ball out of his hands quick to alleviate some of that pressure. But um, their left tackle, Kelvin Beecham, has been very average. His total scores of 55.9. Better in the pass game than the run game, which is pretty common for most teams early in the season to be better in one aspect than the other, especially at the tackle position. But uh, I, their, their offensive line doesn't threaten me entirely too much. I think, again, the Browns have as much talent on their defensive line, even without Emmanuel Ogba, as much talent that they can – uh, they can overcome and they should win some of these matchups, especially I'd expect something big for Miles uh, facing, I think, a talent who's uh, not not nearly on his level in terms of just sheer skill. So pay attention again to the Jets trying to eliminate him as best they can, just like the Saints did, bring in extra help all over the field for him, tight ends, running back, guards, whenever a guard's uncovered, trying to keep their eyes peeled and kind of ear hole him whenever they can.
1: Sounds about right to me. As far as predictions, uh, what do you think a Browns win is going to look like? How do you think uh, we're going to make that happen? Uh,
0: 20 ish points. My kind of status quo is 20 to 14. Uh, That's where um, the Browns score a couple touchdowns offensively, or maybe even create one defensively and score one offensively, and then kick a couple field goals that hopefully go through the uprights. But that 20 to 14 number feels about right for this one. Typically, these Thursday night games are a little sloppy in nature anyway, with a short time to recover, short time to prepare. Um, so I'm not expecting a shootout by any stretch. Uh, sometimes those things can just go opposite and it turns into a shootout. But for the most part, with the way these two offenses play, the way the two defenses have been playing, I expect it to be in that, um, you know, under th- about 34 to 35 point range total between the two.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that a Browns win is is Greg. It doing well to take advantage of being against a rookie quarterback and uh, disguising some coverages, getting a couple turnovers, not necessarily all from uh, Darnold, but uh, at least disrupting that, that quick passing game, maybe taking away that first read. I'd like to see him taking away that first read, make him go to at least to the second uh, that gives you a chance for your defensive lineman to get to him, um, you know, take him down and some drives that way. So uh, score wise, I agree with you. How do you think that we could lose this game, possibly?
0: Um, you know, you get an anemic effort from your offense, and something like a score of twenty-four to seven, or um, it, 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 I can't probably put into words how many different ways they could lose this game, but um, <laughs> it, it could. If one of the teams were to separate from the other, I think it's the Jets separating from Cleveland. And that's by a score, like I said, of 27 to 14 or 20 to 24-10 or something like that, um, where the Browns just simply don't move the football and they're they're frustrated and the crowd's booing them off the field every series. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of where I'm at. And that gets to our prediction side of things between you and I, I would imagine. And I I hate doing this out of negativity, but I think that's what we see. Like, I think that the Browns are going to lay a primetime game egg, and it is going to get ugly, John. Like I, I genuinely think it's going to get ugly. You're going to see people clamoring for Baker. Hugh's job is at risk early in the season. Uh, it's, it's the beginning of what could eventually get pretty ugly for this current coaching staff and the franchise in general, the feel. I just feel it coming. I want to be wrong so bad, and I hope we get on this pod next week and we say, you're wrong, Jake, you're an idiot. But the way things are working toward it this year, I just feel it coming in terms of that that clunker at home and your only primetime game, your only chance to show yourself to the country. And it's public embarrassment, Browns, where – the, the, the crowd is full force booing and you, you kind of leave that game uh, with, with that. This just sucks. This is, this is my <laughs> football team feeling. Mm-hmm. What do you think?
1: I'll tell you what this is gonna this is gonna be a, a really crazy thing because I'll tell you what I basically predicted this exact scenario and the one that uh, includes what you just detailed. I included this as basically the Armageddon, you know, where we lose a couple of close ones, and I know we got a tie in Pittsburgh, but it's essentially exactly what I predicted as a doomsday scenario where you come back after this tough loss. And then you lose to Darnold with Baker sitting on the bench, you know, um, and now all hell breaks loose in Brownstown. And they're lining up with pitchforks in Maria, um, asking for heads to roll. Uh, But for some reason, even though I've seen this unfold the way I, I thought it may, for some reason, uh, I'm feeling the opposite. I think that the Browns have some confidence that they can hang with real teams. I think that the the Jets look pretty awful against the Dolphins. I'm not convinced that they do anything very well. Uh, not that I'm convinced that the Browns do anything spectacularly themselves. Uh, but for some reason, uh, I am confident coming into Thursday, and I, I can't sit here and lay a case for why that is. I think that they're going to come in angry. I think they're going to overcome Hugh. And I think that they're going to, um, I think they're going to take advantage and and look good on prime time. And I I hope that I'm right, but uh, I don't have the evidence to back it up. I'll I'll be honest.
0: (laughs) I hope you're right too, man. I would really enjoy that. Uh,
1: Moving on, I guess, to the prop contest. Um, as far as what we've got this week, you know, I want to, you know, I'll cover kind of the past and that kind of stuff as we, um, you know, on social media and stuff, but in the interest of saving time, um, how about we just jump right into our picks for the week? I've got our selections. I've tried to start to make them a little more fun and not just, uh, predicting straight yardage for whatever, uh, players that we're going against. Uh, so I, I hope you've noticed that I've put some interesting ones in there this week. Um, what are your picks for this week on that list?
0: Um, let me let me pull that list up. Give me just a second. I should probably have this up, but I, it is late, and I am slacking.
1: No problem. I, I'll cut to it.
0: All right, so let's go to drive. Is it on the week two post week three? Yep. All right, you're the man. All right, so jumping back in three, two, one. My picks. Uh, I am going to go with Darnold under two sixty-five. You know me, I'm a hundred, hundred man every time. Um, all right. I'm going Darnold under two and a half touchdown passes. I think he throws a couple. Um, I am going to go with Crowell under eighty yards rushing. All unders because I don't think the Jets are going to perform all too well on offense. They'll just be fine. Um. I'm going to take the lock of the century. I love, when I do prop bets, man, do I love taking sacks. Tyrod Taylor over two and a half sacks. All right. And then I am going to take New York plus three uh, three and a half. All right. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what I'm going
1: to take. Um, I'm going to go with Garrett over one sack. I think that we're going to get... uh, to Garrett Sachs, I think he's gonna come up strong in prime time. Um, I'm gonna take that for a hundred. I'm gonna take darnold under one and a half turnovers. I think he's gonna have one. Uh, I don't think he's gonna get out clean, but I don't think he's gonna have an all-time terrible game. Um, uh, I'm gonna take darnold under the two sixty five as well for a hundred. I'm going to take Duke under 6.5 touches because uh, we just don't seem to know how to use him. And the last thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to take Cleveland minus 3.5. I think we're going to come out strong. Um, so uh, we'll have a little fun this week being on opposite sides of the fence of what we're expecting. Uh, and we'll see how that goes, Jake. Um but uh, we've got a game here in two days. I'm excited. We ran a little long, but I think, you know, it might be a drive-in and a drive-home situation for people. I think they'll enjoy this show. Um, this is a special situation, being that we're doing these shows combined this week. We're not going to make a habit out of having these this long. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can find me, uh, Jake Cosmo, at GC- JC OZMO on Twitter. And, Jake, you want to tell them where you can find you?
0: Yeah, you can find me in my personal account again at jake__burns18 and then at BrownsFilmBDN on uh, on Twitter as well.
1: And then I'm right and you're wrong. Um, that might be a first. So <laughs> we'll see. Uh, go Browns. Uh, what do you think, buddy?
0: Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm sure the first off, you've been right. Just as many times as I have, so stop that. But yeah, I, I mean, I picked the Browns' loss, but I'm hoping they win. I'm obviously always hoping they win. So um, yeah, let's let's uh, hope for the best on Thursday. And as you said.